0: Tonight, it's been three days since Tommy Robinson was thrown in prison. I have some reflections and some news. It's May 28th, and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government but why I publish it, It's because it's my bloody right to do so. Tommy Robinson was one of our most rambunctious employees at The Rebel. I don't think he ever even fit the term employee. He told me once that he never had a boss before in his whole life, and I absolutely believe it. It sure felt that way. He was like lightning. You can't really put lightning in a bottle. If you could, it wouldn't be lightning anymore, could it? Anyways, when we parted amicably a few months ago, I knew Tommy would be even more newsworthy because he would be unrestrained by our corporate policies. For example, Tommy went to Italy to cover the Italian elections. He got into an argument with a migrant who threatened to kill Tommy. Well, you don't say that to Tommy. Boom. Just, just down like a, just down on the ground. I mean, that's exciting TV, but you can imagine how it would give me back here at Rebel World Headquarters ulcers when he worked for us at the Rebel if he had done that. When he went independent, it let me for the first time just sort of uh, enjoy Tommy's exciting work again instead of always worrying about things I told you on Friday that I saw Tommy doing a Facebook live stream from the street in front of the courthouse in Leeds UK I don't have time to watch everything out there that I want to watch but I made time for this maybe because it made me a bit nervous a year ago Tommy was standing in front of the court in Canterbury and was later charged and convicted For contempt of court but I watched Tommy this time and he seemed to have learned the lessons from that day a year ago he said they were accused criminals not criminals he didn't stand on the courthouse property at all not even the sidewalk in front of the court and he wasn't saying any facts about the trial that weren't already public in fact there was a moment when he was quoting from the British state broadcaster the BBC that's where he was going through the names of the men who were accused of raping girls as young as 11 years old again and again in a gang so, Tommy was giving his own opinions, but to me it certainly looked like he was following the rules. But then he was arrested, as I showed you that day. I'll give you some new news in a moment, but just to recap, this is what police said to him on Friday when he was just standing outside the court in Leeds. The content of
1: one streaming, I've been arrested for breaching the peace. Are you him? I've been arrested for of the peace. You've all watched this. You've all watched this. You've all watched this. Can you get me a slicer? Can, yes. can, can, can you get me a slicer? Can you get me a slicer? Can you get me a slicer? Turn off your live please. Yeah?
2: Do you understand what i just have to do? can you explain it again? The the What does that mean?
1: mean? What does that mean? What does that mean, What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that the case yeah. 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 So That's the information I've. am inciting. I'm got. inciting, inciting. I'm you know, inciting people.
2: Video and, how have I incited?
1: This is free speech. This is this is don't where be, we're at. You're not even allowed to look at this. Okay. Okay. Look how many people. Don't you don't what are you to You know when you do this. More people. More people. Just let do this. More people going to watch this now than ever. This is ridiculous, lads. Do you feel right what you're doing It? I haven't said a word. I, so, in fact, someone laid their hand on assault me outside court. Yeah, Other right. people have at me threatened and threatened me. me
3: about my mother, and here I am being arrested for saying nothing. I'm threatened to behead I've done me, i
2: have done not said anything about What, anything about what, anything about what
1: are they arresting you arresting me for, Tommy? Breach, Breach of the, 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 the peace. Apparently I'm inciting on my oh, video. Speech. Can you please, George, uh, get me a solicitor? Yeah. Because, so we'll because see I'm see there. I'm on a suspended sentence, He has actually
0: done nothing
2: wrong. anything like
0: that. That's the last we saw of him. Of course, Tommy was not disturbing the peace. There was no one out there on the street. Tommy was just talking to a Facebook video through his cell phone. But think about that for a moment. Imagine the police power to arrest someone for peacefully giving a political commentary on Facebook Live and just calling that disturbing the peace. I say again, Tommy was not on the courthouse property, not even on his front steps, so police arrested him for talking on Facebook. If they could arrest him across from a courthouse for that, why could they not arrest him at his home for that, anywhere, for what he says on Facebook or YouTube? And indeed, they do that in the UK now. And you know the rest. If you watch my show on Friday, he was rushed before the judge in the case, not even allowed to call his regular lawyers, the ones who know him, who know his history, who might be expert in certain areas of the law. He was given a public defender. I'm sure he was a nice guy, but not anyone who knew Tommy or the special facts and the special area of law. And so it is unsurprising, but still shocking that Tommy was sentenced to 13 months in prison. A year ago when Tommy faced the same contempt of court hearing in Canterbury, when we worked with him, uh, we were at least able to get him home that night and have the hearing postponed a week or two, and we brought in not one, not two, but three top lawyers, a bit of a junior dream team, I guess, and we got Tommy out because it's a complicated area of law, contempt of court, we needed to hire the best. But even though we won that case a year ago, the judge was terrifying. Look at this from the ruling last year. This is from the court transcript. Mr. Kovalevsky is the name of our top lawyer at the time that we hired. I accept what Mr. Kovalevsky tells me about the dangers that you might face were you to be sent into immediate custody. This is the judge I'm quoting. I have to say it is on a knife edge, so far as I'm concerned, because a very large part of me thinks, so what? You can be put into prot- protective custody. So the judge was saying, sure, he'll be in danger for your life, but so what? He can go in solitary confinement for for a few months because you shot a 45-second selfie video. I tell you, they treat Guantanamo Bay terrorists better. That is a fact. Anyways, Tommy was careful on Friday, but that didn't stop him from being arrested. But from arrest to drumhead trial to conviction to sentencing, what, an hour or two? Sorry, that's banana republic stuff. That's like the desaparecidos in Argentina just vanished. The disappeared ones, that's that word in Spanish. They were just disappeared, never to be heard from again. But not a word from Tommy from Amnesty International or Penn International or Reporters Without Borders, none of those groups, not a word. Not a word from CNN or the New York Times or even from the BBC or the UK tabloids, nothing. In the United States, Fox News had a story. Give them credit. They called Tommy far right, but let that small insult pass. At least they reported the story, not a peep from the mainstream media other than them. The Drudge Report made it their top story. I bet it got a million clicks, including from the UK, where the whole matter is under, under a publication ban. The judge who sentenced Tommy made it illegal to report that sentence. <laughs> Isn't that funny, eh? Banana Republic stuff. I'm going to sentence you and then ban people from saying I sentenced you. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted about it, too. He said, it's a reason why the United States had a revolution in 1776. He called that the original Brexit. Those are good quips, but seriously, I'm glad that someone, anyone, even the son of the president, mentioned the case. How about an actual elected official, though, especially in the UK? Here's one member of the European Parliament, a UKIP MP, or MEP, Gerard Batten, who did, who is speaking out, but that's about it. No one from the governing Tories, not even the official UKIP party or what's left of it other than this MEP. Geert Wilders, the Dutch politician who was prosecuted for hate speech in his own country, he spoke out. As you can see here, he stood in front of the UK embassy in Holland. Hopefully there will be more protests like it, but so far it's just the margins, not the heart. There's no prime ministers or presidents speaking out. And where are all the liberals? Do you doubt if some liberal citizen journalist were swept off the streets and swept into prison and a gag order put on top that this would be international news around the world if it had been Donald Trump who did it or Stephen Harper who did it to a leftist? But of course there are different standards. Do you remember this guy here? Nakula Basili Nakula. Hard to forget that name. An American filmmaker originally from the Middle East who made a short YouTube video about Islam. And Hillary Clinton blamed Him and his video for the September 11th, 2012 attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi. They said his little YouTube film caused a terrorist attack of 100 terrorists. No, no, it wasn't al-Qaeda, you see. It was this American filmmaker. Hillary said anything, Obama said anything to pretend al-Qaeda didn't do it. And they threw that American filmmaker in jail. He's a journalist of sorts. He's a filmmaker. They threw him in jail. And yeah, different standards when it's a leftist president who does it. I spoke several times with Tommy's wife and family and lawyer over the past few days. It sounds like they still haven't had a chance to meet with Tommy in person. Can you believe that? That's an outrage in itself. His own lawyer, his own family. I say again, can you tell me in what way Tommy's situation does not qualify him as a political prisoner? I cannot think of a way. other than we don't normally talk like that about people in the UK or the US and Canada, and yet here we are. So the family tells me they want to wait until they speak to Tommy before making any decisions on crowdfunding or any other offers of help, I get it. They don't have instructions from the key guy. They're feeling shell-shocked and they're surely getting advice from all quarters from meddlers. I suppose we are meddlers in a way. Tommy doesn't work for us anymore. We have no standing, but we support him morally, and we helped give him his start in journalism, and we still like what he's doing, and we have a track record with him and with helping him in this very exact problem a year ago. So I offered help, and I'll stand down until it's specifically asked of me. Any crowdfunding sites out there that you see, they are rogue, other than Tommy's own website. Nothing claiming to be for his aid is actually authorized. But there is one thing we can do, one thing we have a standing to do on our own, without the instruction of Tommy or his family, something that, in fact, we ought to do and that we can do, and not everyone can do, but we can. And that is challenge this publication ban in court. It, you, can, you can do it. Here's the, here's the book that tells you how. It's a guide for UK judges and lawyers. You can apply to a court to have a publication ban set aside. Did you know that? I mentioned before we're based here in North America. Obviously, we're not subject to this ban, obviously. But our UK sister corporation called Rebel News Network UK Limited, well, it's a UK company, and we have 152,000 supporters in the UK. Did you know that? And we have staff there, too. Katie Hopkins, Jack Buckby, other folks. So our, our UK sister company has the standing to go to court and to fight against this ban. It's not in Tommy's name, it's in the name of our UK sister company's right to report and our UK customer's right to know and the general public interest in having open courts with those secret star chambers, so we're doing that. We've hired an outstanding lawyer who has worked with us before and worked with Tommy before. That's him there. His name is Daniel Burke. Do you remember him? He's the lawyer who took the case of Chelsea Wright, the girl from Sunderland who suffered so brutally at the hands of a predator. I have spoken with Daniel just this morning, and he believes this is an important case, and he's already working on an emergency application. He's going to try to lift the publication, man, for us and for all the reporters, for everyone, it's a good job for us to do. It's shocking that it falls to us, a small independent internet-based news company, to fight for freedom in the press and open courts in the United Kingdom. Where's the BBC or Sky or any of the tabloids that so love to skewer Tommy when it suits them? Where are the organizations like Amnesty International or Reporters Without Borders coming to the aid of a citizen journalist who was arrested and sentenced faster than in any dictatorship? Ours. Where's Pierce Morgan? Or is he just happy to silence Tommy Robinson for good? Now, we're going to crowdfund this, this as we always do. We don't have huge budgets like the BBC or Sky or ITV. If you want to help us crowdfund this court challenge to the gag order, please visit our special website called letusreport.com. Letusreport.com. Note that this is separate from Tommy Robinson's own case. This is simply to pay for challenging the publication ban in the UK. It's hard to estimate how much it'll cost. My experience tells me it'll be approximately 20,000 pounds. I'm going to make a video similar to this one and put it on YouTube outside the paywall so that not just our subscribers can know about it. Right now, Tommy's family and lawyer are still huddling and coming up with a strategy. Let us give them their space. But in the meantime, let us go to court to lift the publication ban on this horrific story. Our UK company has the legal standing. I truly believe that if the British people learned what happened to Tommy Robinson on Friday, it would awaken within them the instincts of freedom and the rule of law that has been the British heritage since the Magna Carta. If you want to help crowdfund the legal costs of our emergency appeal, please go to LetUsReport.com. There's also a petition there that we're going to deliver next week to the U.K. Attorney General. His name is Jeremy Wright. We're going to demand an investigation into the shocking treatment of Tommy by police and prosecutors. So sign the petition. It's something Tommy used to do to great effect in the U.K. when he worked at the Rebel. Let's get 100,000 names on a petition demanding an explanation for this high-handed treatment of him. Tommy did his part. That's the biggest part. You paid the biggest price. I think this one lawsuit is our part. Please do your part. Please go to letusreport.com and let the British people know what is happening in their own country. Thank you. Tommy's not with our company anymore, but he's still the UK's biggest rebel, don't you think? And I think we ought to help him, even if that just means getting rid of this publication ban. Stay with us for more. Well, I tell you, it is such a nail-biter, this Ontario provincial election. It's been a roller coaster ride ever since Patrick Brown was thrown out the window by his own party a couple months back. Doug Ford took the leadership, another surprise, and he started with a 20-plus point lead. But now the momentum is with the New Democrats, terrifyingly. Well, last night was a key leaders' debate on TV. And joining us now is someone who's been watching this debate extremely closely— our friend Jerry Agar with News Talk 1010, The Jerry Agar Show. Jerry, it's great to see you again.
2: You too, Ezra, it's been a while.
0: Well, thanks for being back. I tell you, this Ontario election is so important. We have a lot of viewers in Western Canada, but I know that they understand that if Ontario lurches to the left or comes back a little bit towards sanity, it impacts the whole country. So this is actually a pretty big deal, even if you're not in Ontario, right?
2: Well, sure. It was like watching the Alberta election when after 43 years, the conservatives needed to change. Unfortunately, they went to the NDP. But uh, but here's the thing. You're right. The momentum looks to be to the NDP. That's on popular vote. But I keep telling people I don't have a crystal ball, but let's not get caught up like we did on the American election and thinking that because Hillary Clinton had the popular vote in the polls, she was going to win. The polls were not wrong. People say, oh, the polls were terrible. No, they weren't. She won the popular vote vote. But that's not how elections are decided. Trump won the congressional vote. And we, of course, are going to do it on seats in ridings. Mm -hmm. And there's a fascinating poll that they keep track of every day on the CBC, Ezra, where they are making seat projections. They show the NDP winning the popular vote, the uh, PCs winning a majority government and a possibility of the liberals being decimated down below party status. Oh, my
0: God. Well, I'm very pleased to hear that the fortunes of the liberals are so uh, dismal, but I am terrified at the prospect of another sort of an anybody but the above choosing the NDP. That really scares me. Uh, Jerry, can I play some clips? Our producers have selected some yeah. clips from last night's debates. We've got some longer ones, some shorter ones. I'm going to throw them up there. You watched this very close last night but in, in real time. Maybe you can give me your thoughts on, on a half a dozen clips, okay? Okay. Okay. Let's start with uh, an opening uh, remark uh, with Doug Ford attacking the NDP, which is interesting. I mean, he knows where his challenger is. As you say, the the Liberals are not even in the game. Take a look at this, and I'd like your thoughts after this one, Jerry.
1: Well, you you think it's unaffordable now under the Liberals, and it's bad, but it's going to get 10 times worse under the NDP. We've seen this show before. We've seen when the NDP were in power that 125,000 people lost their jobs. Unemployment skyrocketed 28%. Welfare rates went up. We had the highest taxes in North America. My friends, I'm gonna reduce your personal income tax by 20%. I'm gonna reduce the gas price per liter by 10 cents a liter. I'm gonna reduce your hydro rates by 12%. That is true savings.
0: Jerry, do you think that's connecting with people?
2: Well, I hope it's connecting with people. I think uh, people are asking Doug Ford how he's going to afford to do that. And that's a legitimate question. But the first part, when he went after the NDP saying it's going to get even worse, here's the evidence. First of all, even the premier took Andrea Horvath, the leader of the Ontario NDP, to task when the NDP have made the statement that they would not, under any circumstances, ever tell a public union they had to go back to work. (laughs) And, you know, the others were asking, well, then where's... Where's the power of government to do anything mm-hmm. about a public union? At some point, you have to actually care about the people on the other side of the equation, the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Andrea Horvath and the NDP say they would make Ontario a sanctuary province. Yeah. When the city of Toronto is already inundated by illegal immigrants, who we're coming across um, irresponsibly, as you've reported so much on, on the, on the rebel, um, into Quebec. And, and Justin Trudeau is saying, well, we'll just send them to Toronto. And, and she's saying, fine, we'll take them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, geez. Well, you know, I want to play just one more clip from Doug Ford. We're obviously Ford supporters here. He's not perfect by any stretch, but I believe he's the the guy who could save Ontario from what I fear is like a Detroit-like decline. Detroit used to be the most wealthy industrial city in America, the highest wage. It was the place. And a generation later, it's one of the poorest cities. I hate to be so depressing, but it can happen that an economic jewel, yep. it becomes a wasteland. And I, I know that sounds shocking, but tell that to Detroiters uh, 50 years ago. Um, one of the things that really animated the conservative leadership campaign was the carbon tax. Let me play for you a clip from Doug Ford on the carbon tax. Jerry, I'd love your thoughts on this.
1: The people that are most vulnerable are the low income people that get hurt. When, when they put the carbon tax, the carbon tax jacks up the gas price, the worst tax ever, Jacks up the gas prices, but jacks up every single item you buy in the store, and it does nothing for the environment. They believe in high taxes. I believe in empowering the people, not empowering the government. The people can spend their money a lot wiser than the government can. That's the difference between the NDP, the Liberals, and the PCs.
0: It, it, not really a direct attack on the concept of a carbon tax. I don't know. I'm excited by opposing the carbon tax because I think it's something all the fancy elite environmentalists support, but no severely normal person does. I don't know. I, I feel like yeah. he wasn't as on fire on that as he should have been. What's your take?
2: well uh, it was one of the questions that was asked by somebody in the audience who first challenged him do you believe in global warming and uh, the an important preface to this Ezra, is that doug ford said to the person who asked the question not only do i believe in global warming i believe in man-made global warming but i don't believe in the carbon tax it isn't going to do anything other than just take money out of people's pockets i mean you heard what he had to say about it there um that the, the important thing was let let's not panic ourselves into doing the wrong thing
0: you know, uh, Jason Kenney, believe it or not, is taking the same line. The, process, the, the would-be premier of Alberta, I think Jason Kenney's going to win. He's saying, I'm not even going to engage on the science. I think that's a mistake, but these guys, they, they don't want to get bogged down there. They, they would prefer the fight over yeah. the carbon tax as opposed to, you know, this ethereal debate about global warming. Do you, do you think
2: that- I think that's Sorry, I think that there's, I, I understand why they're doing that. I, and they're saying people might listen a little more And if we actually go after this and demonstrate to people that the carbon tax won't do what they hope it will. Yeah. Uh, Lori Goldstein of the Toronto Sun has done many, many, many fabulous columns on this. You can, I think you can win on the economics and the science of the uh, the ineffectiveness of a, of a carbon tax. Yeah.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about the NDP because of course, uh, Andrea Horvath, I think this is her third campaign, if I'm not mistaken, as leader. And normally opposition yeah. leaders don't get that many cracks at it. But I th- I mean, I'm a fairly new Ontarian, as you know, Jerry, but I- I'm sort of comfortable with her as a person. I mean, ideologically, I-, I am totally opposed to the NDP, but I'm what I detect might happen is that people say, oh yeah, her, she seems nice enough. She seems friendly enough. Yeah. Um, Doug Ford, I don't like for this reason. Kathleen Wynne, I don't like for that reason. I'll go for the the third choice, and I feel like that's what happened in Alberta. Let me show you sort of a mashup of Andrea Horwath really trying to get some punches in. You tell me how you think this went over. Did this show a level of confidence that voters will like, or do you think this might have taken the shine off Andrea Horwath? Take a look.
1: So their so plan, their plan's out the window, Mr. Ford. Not true. Their, their plan least, is actually out the window. Plan, you Mr. made Ford. a seven billion dollar mistake, so and the liberals are cooking the books. Mr. Ford, in There's fact, one it, wasn't, person it wasn't that amount of money. That has it's, a proven. Uh, okay, stand, something stand something. by.
0: Stand Your plan will actually create long. Your care plan will actually create
1: long wait
3: lists. Your plan has long, people paying two thousand dollars a month for child care in Toronto. You are spending
1: billion. dollars. Where is
0: your money? coming from so she was doing a lot of interrupting i I mean i know that's not a substantive reason to vote for someone or not but these things sometimes matter it gives people a certain feeling do you think she came across as a tough cookie who's going to hold doug ford to account or do you think she came across as a how do you think that went for it i tell you it didn't actually look that bad to me um if i was a new democrat i would have been probably cheering her
2: Well, maybe, but uh, it's not just New new Democrats. She has to win over at this point. I think she finds herself in this amazing position where she could theoretically be premier. I don't think that the NDP have thought about that for quite a long time, which I'll get to in just a second because it gives them another problem. But I thought she seemed incredibly rude, but then I'm not predisposed to support the the NDP anyway. I think if it were flipped around and Doug Ford was interrupting the woman as rudely as she did for 90 minutes last night, uh, that would have been the headline this morning. But that's the double standard and I think that uh, that Ford understood it and played the game well in that regard. What I meant by the other comment, as I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but I would say to anybody who has decided, oh, that Andrew, Andrew Horvath seems so nice. Oh, I don't like that, Doug Ford. We're done with the liberals. So maybe the NDP are our choice. Look, the NDP may have some good, intelligent, smart people who could lead a government on their roster. But because they didn't really properly vet a lot of their people, not realizing perhaps that they'd be in this position, you need to look at the particular NDP candidate in your writing, because some of them are just anti-Canadian, yeah. way out there, yeah. fringe, loop, yeah. loopy people. I well, mean, seriously, loopy people, Ezra.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of the Alberta NDP. They were just they were just putting names down on paper because they thought they would be sacrificial land. Jerry, you've been very generous with your time. Can I play just two more short clips? One is exactly what you're yeah. talking about. There was one of these NDP candidates who I know this sounds crazy was posting to social media Hitler memes, as in Adolf Hitler. Uh, And the NDP didn't get rid of the candidate. Here, take a quick look.
3: I wanna say straight up that any memes that had anything to do with Hitler is absolutely abhorrent and it's something that I absolutely uh, reject completely. But Mr. Ford's tabloid mudslinging uh, against my candidates, only foments divisiveness and hatred. And it has to stop. It's the wrong thing to do.
0: I tell you, that's quite a a move there, Jerry, to to have a candidate posting Hitler memes and to call the other guy hateful and divisive. But I, I think she's getting away with it. I don't know. Well, I, you know, I hope not, because
2: here's the problem. She said last night, you heard it on the clip, that she just has no tolerance for that. Well, I'll give credit to journalist Robin Urbach, who tweeted out right after that. She says she has no tolerance for it, but she seems to be tolerating the uh, candidate who actually put the meme out. Yeah. She's not dumping the candidate. And by the way, we discussed this this morning on my radio show, and I brought up that point. And one of the people said, well, it's too late because if you dump that candidate, you've got nobody to replace her. At this point, if people... People start uh, giving the thumbs up to Hitler, take the hit and have no candidate in that riding, if that's yeah. what it takes. Yeah. Show some character, Andrea Horvath.
0: Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're not going to get rid of someone for mm-hmm. praising Hitler, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's pretty low standards. Now, we've we've really ignored Kathleen Wynne this whole discussion, uh, Jerry, because the polls are so daunting for her. But let me show you, she took sort of a defiant stands and she said I'm not sorry I'm not sorry if you don't like me here let me play a clip of that and and then I'll let you go because you're very generous with your time but take a look at this so here's what I want to say about the last five years sorry not
2: sorry I'm really genuinely sorry that more people
3: don't
0: like me but I am not sorry about all of the things that we're doing in Ontario to make life better I, I mean, I guess she's embracing it, uh, Jerry. She knows that you know her personal approval rule is very low. Her name's not on the campaign signs. Uh, she's not even yeah. appearing in all her ads. But but maybe that maybe she's embracing it, saying, "I don't care what you think about me. It's what I've done that counts." I again, I mean, I don't want to sound sympathetic to someone who I disagree with on everything. But that's not a bad line to me. Do you disagree, Jerry?
2: I do disagree because she has it backward. I actually think that uh, maybe you and I notwithstanding, I think most people actually don't dislike her. I think they actually like her. I think she's gotten away with a tremendous amount because they actually like her. Mm. She's very good at that. What people have finally decided is they don't like her policies. They don't like what she's done to this province, not for this province, to this province. I think people have finally figured that out. So once again, she doesn't really actually understand the people of Ontario properly.
0: Well, Jerry, you have your finger on the pulse of Ontario better than just about anyone. I mean, every single day you interact with so many Ontarians on your show, uh, News Talk 1010, Jerry Agar show. I I believe you have a pulse of this debate and the pulse of this campaign. And you've given me a little bit of hope when you point to the fact that if you just look at raw numbers, the NDP looks strong. But if you look at the distribution geographically, riding by riding, it's still... Hopeful for Ford. I sure hope so because, by God, I've watched what happens in Alberta. I don't want it to be replayed here. Jerry, last word to you.
2: Well, I, I think that uh, that's the strongest thing that I want to tell people to repeat here is if you are inclined to vote NDP, take a look at what the NDP is offering you. Because if you if you end up with a person who has accused the Canadian military of slaughtering women, children and innocents, uh, you might not be happy with the government you get.
0: Yeah, and that sanctuary city point that you mentioned earlier, it is so insane, yeah. but I think they mean it. Jay, it's great to see you again. Thanks for coming back on the show. You too. All right, There you go. Our friend Jerry Agar from News Talk 1010, the Jerry Agar Show. You know, I'm so glad to talk with him because, I mean, I I pay attention to the Ontario campaign. I'm an Ontarian now, transplanted here, I guess, about five years. But uh, I don't have the intimate knowledge of all the uh, wrinkles like our friend Jerry does. I'm glad he's got a little bit of hope left. I'm getting nervous. I mean, Doug Ford's burnt up a 20-point lead. Uh, I hope he can salvage it. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. One of the weirdest things about Rachel Notley's government is how many of the senior staffers are from outside the province of Alberta. I recall when Rachel Notley first took office there, I think 12 cabinet ministers. My memory serves, I think only only two of them had chiefs of staff from Alberta. Imagine that 10 out of 12 of the most important departments and ministries in the province of Alberta were run by hired mercenaries from outside the province's borders, including... Rachel Notley's own premier's office, the chief of staff, was a lawyer from Toronto uh, who, who uh, he was with an actor's union. He was a labor organizer from Toronto in a province of, what, four and a half million people? Was there not a single person in the province who was better suited to run her office than him? I mean, there's, there's not a ton of socialists in Alberta, but don't tell me you couldn't find one Albertan who wanted to serve his or her province, even if they weren't a dyed-in-the-wool socialist, who would just say, in the interests of patriotism and, and success, I will go help Premier Notley. 10 out of 12 were, I'm not going to say foreign because they were Canadian, but they were the leftovers, the, the, um, the losers, actually, from failed NDP campaigns in Toronto, in Vancouver, in BC, all the losers in the NDP came to Alberta to get free jobs. And one of those losers is named John Heaney. And joining us now to talk about who John Heaney is and how he's bringing his loserness to Alberta is our friend Sheila Gunn Reed, our Alberta Bureau Chief. Sheila, do I have my stats right about all those out of, pro- it would just be so weird. Imagine if 10 out of 12 chiefs of staff in Quebec were from like Calgary. Or imagine if 10 out of 12 chiefs of staff to the BC government came from like Newfoundland. People would say, yeah, good people, but you know, shouldn't we represent our own province rather than having like a colonial governor? Like it's just weird.
3: It is weird. And this story with John Heaney is even weirder because you mentioned Brian Top there, so Toronto-based socialist who came to be Rachel Notley's chief of staff. When Brian Top left, then John Heaney came on the scene. And John Heaney is from BC. He worked for the NDP there. Actually, he's uh, known as a close friend of Premier John Horgan. He was John Horgan's chief of staff when John Horgan was sitting as the leader of the opposition. And he was also John Horgan's former business partner in his lobbying firm. Now, John Heaney was our. Uh, Rachel Notley's chief of staff, and then he sort of left suddenly last August, saying that he had to go back to B.C. because he wanted to spend more time with his family. Well, the sordid tale goes on that John Heaney only left for two months. He was back already working in Alberta in October of 2017. So he wanted to see his family, but not any longer than two months. And then he came right back here. And while he was working for the Alberta government, he was also actively lobbying in British Columbia. He was working as a registered lobbyist in British Columbia, lobbying the NDP government there while on the payroll in Alberta. And even sneakier and slimier, Rachel Notley hid his employment from the population of Alberta. He was not listed as a government worker on our um you know, government employee website. He wasn't on there at all. And he was only confirmed finally by the energy minister spokesperson to have been working in Alberta at the beginning of May. And it was confirmed that he was actually rehired back in October of last year.
0: How, how does that happen? I mean, um, to be a chief of staff or to be a senior staffer for a government but you have a gig on the side that is political. Like if you, I guess if you had like a, like a local bakery or something, I, I don't think there would be a problem. But if your business is lobbying the BC government for private clients while representing the Alberta government, which has a big feud with the BC government, that you're lobbying for private clients, how is that even legal let alone how did that pass anyone's gut check for being ethical? And the fact that you say they hid it, obviously it didn't pass their gut check, but they said, well, you know, we all got to get paid while we can because we're all going to be fired in a year and a half. This sounds crazy.
3: It's It gets crazier, Ezra, because there's another level to this story. This isn't the first time that John Heaney has done this. Um, In 2007, he was a lawyer who was retained by the NDP um, in B.C. And so he was working for the NDP as a lawyer when they were sitting in opposition. And he was also, again, a, a registered lobbyist in British Columbia. Now, those two things are not in contravention to the law what happened to end up in contravention of the law in 2007 was that John Heaney did what he always does and tries to line his pockets twice. And he lobbied the NDP opposition critic on behalf of his client, um, which was a generic drug manufacturer. He lobbied Adrian Dix, who happened to be the NDP health critic. So he's working for the NDP, taking money for them, and then sort of Peddling his influence to his clients as a lobbyist, and then lobbying the NDP health critic. So this is something that he's always done. It's something that Rachel Notley has had to have known that he was uh, that he's done in the past, and she hid his employment from the Alberta people because she knew he was doing this again. And I know she knew he was doing this again because Rachel Notley's spokesperson Cheryl Oates admitted that. They knew he was doing it, but it was fine because he has an exemption.
0: I, I gotta tell you, that just sounds crooked. I mean, the, what you said before that he was a lawyer for the NDP. So he, so mm-hmm. I mean, I used to work as a lawyer a long time ago. You have a loyalty to your client and you have to disclose things and your, your interests are to your client. For him at the same time to lobby his client on behalf of someone else paying him that would be that that feels like he was being paid by both sides of a deal that is so not kosher and the fact that he's still that he's being paid by someone to lobby the bc government while he's being paid by the alberta government this i'm sorry i don't like saying the word crooked because crooked really implies you're breaking some rules but this sounds crooked 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 i guess in that way sheila he's a perfect fit for the ndp
3: He really is. And, you know, just by nature of Rachel Notley hiding his employment from the public, she knows that this wouldn't pass the smell test either. But that's not even where John Heaney's troubles end. In uh, November of 2017, an investigation was opened by the Privacy Commissioner into something that he had done in October 20 or in October of 2016. So like a year prior he was found to have been meddled in meddling in freedom of information um, requests. He asked Service Alberta, according to an email released by the UCPP, he asked Service Alberta to change the information that they would be releasing in these freedom of information requests. So when the news broke that uh, John Heaney was under investigation for things that he had done during the time that he had worked in the premier's office, he was already working back at the government, but none of the media knew. And the Alberta government was answering questions about John Heaney as though he was no longer employed with them. Huh. But he was. And they were just misleading everybody from start to finish.
0: Sheila, you called their number two years ago in your number one best selling book called The Destroyers.ca. By the way, that book is still available. I went to the, it was just on the website the other day, The uh, It was ahead of its time. And I regret that because it was a premonition. It was like, you know, that mythical character, Cassandra, warning everybody, warning, 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 and no one listened. But uh, they're listening now, aren't they? This, this, This NDP has brought Alberta to its knees. I'm counting the days till they're thrown into the dustbin of history.
3: I cannot wait until they're relegated to the fringe party status that they so rightly deserve.
0: I think that John Heaney might deserve some extra sanctions. I truly believe his conduct needs to be investigated because I think it goes beyond bad taste and bad judgment. I think it goes to breaking rules. I won't say more until I have proof that's of a more criminal nature. Sheila, great to see you. Thanks for bringing us the facts.
3: Thanks, Ezra. All
0: right. What do you think of that, eh? Holy cow. Sheila gunn our Alberta Bureau Chief. Stay with us. More Ahead on the Rebel. Hey, welcome back. On my monologue Friday about Tommy Robinson, Carol writes, The judge that sentenced Tommy is a shame to humanity. We are way too polite and docile in the West, while the five Ps are destroying everything, including human rights. We have to rebel before it becomes a bloodbath. Thank you, Carol. The five Ps that Daniel Pipes uh, described are the police, the prosecutors, the press, the politicians, and the professors. And sometimes Daniel Pipes adds the priests. Uh, Yeah, and this absolutely, absolutely is part of it. The official people are not on our side anymore. James writes, how can this be possible? It goes against everything we know as a Western democracy. What happens to the right to defend yourself in court? The right to have your own lawyer, innocent until proven guilty. This is truly scary. Well, that's the thing. I remember last time when they raided Tommy's home at 4 a.m. I was shocked by that. I was shocked by how quick it went. But we were able to muster lawyers to get Tommy home that night, and we were able to give our lawyers a few weeks to prepare. That didn't happen here at all, and that is wrong. Paul writes, this is now the normal. In Soviet Britain, they protect pedophiles and sexual predators and imprison those who call them out rule of law exists at the whim of the political class yes and i know i've talked about the classism in the uk before and you know what here in north america we are blessed the free of classism i mean people people don't look it down on you if you are a rags to riches story and that's sort of the american dream and i think it's a bit of the canadian dream too so many people come here low class and they work hard and they make their way up and no one says you can't you can't do that. You're nouveau riche. Like there's there's none of that stratified sedimentary system in the UK. I mean, in Canada, people almost, uh, I mean, there, it's two ways. If someone started poor and made their way up, I think they earn the respect of people, don't they? I, I this, That's my observation. And if someone really made it, I think a lot of people say, wow, I want to do that too. Like they don't, there's not a hatred of wealth by working classes, I don't think generally, other than the NDP. And I don't think there's a despise and a contempt for people who start off from working classes. So I think there's a real mobility. I really believe that in Canada, don't you? Um, it's not that way in the UK. And it was shocking to me. And that's one of the things that took me a year to learn with Tommy, uh, is that the people who are the victims of these rape gangs, of these predators, they are, to quote Morrissey, they are nobody's nothings. They are poor, white, working class girls that no one gives a damn about. They don't have friends in parliament, don't have rich lawyers, don't have friends in the media. They're not connected, and so no one cares. What they care more about is, oh, will I be called a racist if I do anything? That is what Tommy stood athwart. And that is why I think he had so much courage his family doesn't want our help for their personal affairs right now, that's fine. We're gonna do this gag order, let us report.com project, and hopefully we'll have some success there. I'm gonna keep you posted on this story. I'm not gonna do my monologue every single day about it, but I, I don't know if you know, but at 12 noon every day, I do a live chat on YouTube. You're welcome to join if you're free. 12 noon Eastern time, that's 9 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Mountain time, that's 5 p.m. in the UK. Um, so I did that on Tommy Robinson today. I'm going to do that again tomorrow because there'll be more to report. So if you want it more on Tommy, I'll give you a little bit in the evenings, but I don't want to just be Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. So I'll do more at 12 noon if you, if you have the time tomorrow. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom.